It's the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Hi, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from someone else's mistakes. So this is it. This is the Almost Perfect Podcast. It is finally a thing. It is real. It is in your ears, and it is coming out of my mouth, which is pretty dope. This is something I've actually tried to do a few times now. I have um, done two previous episodes, one with Bala Winster, one with Neil Green, and both kind of sounded like shit. So that is why they are not ever going to be released, or they might be released like in 10 years' time as a super premium bundle where Spotify takes 90% of the money or something. Um, anyway, this is the Almost Perfect Podcast, like I've said like a few times now already, and this is the first episode officially, and I'm pretty stoked that it is the one that it is, it's with Carvin Goldstone, and it's at a pretty interesting time in Carvin's life, and we get into a pretty deep discussion about a lot of different things, and I'm stoked that we got to do it. Carvin is kind of Durban's comedy godfather. He's been around for a very long time, like for the last decade or so. Him and a few other people back in the day um, kind of started what we know as a lot of the comedy scene in Durban. And he's been very instrumental in a lot of other people's careers as well as his own. So we chat a lot about the responsibilities that he's faced over the years. We chat about the beginning of his career and why he quit a few times, and it's oddly enough, well not oddly enough, but it's got to do with religion, and we actually have a pretty deep discussion about religion, although that's mostly me talking in that one, but we get pretty deep into it, we get deep into his parents, we discuss his parents, we discuss his mom and dad, and what he gets from each of them, and what he gets from each of them has kind of led him to the path that he's on now, and it's led him to winning two Comics Choice Awards over the course of the weekend, but not accepting them. And we get into that. We get into why he is not accepting the Comics Choice Awards that he won, even though he entered into them, because there was a category that he disputed and requested an audit for leading up into the the, the Comics Choice Awards, and it never happened. And so he feels he obviously can't you know, be complicit in this thing and he can't accept the awards which sucks you know because he definitely deserves awards um if anyone like anyone in stand-up comedy in south africa in any comedy fan anyone like not even just in south africa like people around the world know the guy now so he's definitely an award deserving comedian and it seems like obviously the south african comics uh think so too since they voted for him to win two awards this weekend but like I said, he hasn't accepted them. And we do discuss that and how he got his moral compass that led him there and all the experiences that led him there. And while this podcast is meant to be something that, you know, I'm trying to learn from other people's mistakes, essentially. I don't know if I angle it quite enough in here or if that's even a thing I'm going to really do. You know, I feel like we can just pick up for ourselves, you know, <laughs> like what we learn from other people's experiences in life. And Carver does talk a little bit about his failures. We do, you know, look at his early days of comedy. We look at him just, you know, we get to know the guy like behind the mic, I guess. Although if you've ever watched his comedy, 
he's a pretty honest cat. He's a pretty good reflection of himself on stage. And he's really good at reading people and interpreting things and being empathetic. And I don't know. I just, I've got a lot of respect for the guy. I'm really stoked I got to chat with him first for this. And I hope you get a lot out of this conversation. I hope you learn a bit from him. I hope you learn about him. And at the end of the day, yeah, I hope we can do this again soon. I definitely want to chat to Carbon again in the near future. Well, not too soon on this podcast. Obviously, there's so many other people that also... I want to introduce you to that I want to get to know that I want to have cool conversations with and who you know who I want to I want to get the stories man I want to find out what people have done where they come from what their fuck-ups are what their failures are what are the things that you know they've learned in life try and unlock the cheat codes without having to fail more myself because I've done enough of that and you know it doesn't seem to be working quite enough like I'm getting I'm getting there on my road to success I think but it's been a bit of a slow journey. So now I'm going to try and unlock the cheat codes from other people's mistakes. Here comes Carbon Goldstone. This is the first episode. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, there we go. This is officially happening. You know how long I've tried to make like the almost perfect podcast a thing? It's been like nearly a year and now finally it's happening. I'm doing the interview with Carbon Goldstone. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, Bob, and you? I'm very good, man. Like, this has, yeah, been something I wanted to do forever. I'm super stoked that you're one of the people that I get to do it with because yeah. you're kind of like the godfather of Durban comedy. Sure. Like... There's <laughs> a lot of pressure. Why is it It's an interesting thing. Uh, I, like, because I, I never felt pressure, but I feel like... I'm, I'm starting to feel that pressure a bit uh, when people say, like, uh, uh, oh, Carvin, you... you uh, you look the god things like that like yeah, yeah. the godfather because not in, not in the way that like you're going to make someone like wake up with a horse's head like <laughs> in their bed but, but like just that uh, like people expect uh, fatherly things from me in this business in Durban and um, do you hate that expectation now like because you think like even like new people like come I'm to you and they like yeah. have an th- expectation of okay. what you can so get so I'm them. worried that I'm going to start doing it because I'm expected to do it as opposed to I suppose people see it that way because I did it, but I didn't do it because I was expected to do it. I did it because you wanted to do it. Because I wanted to do it. So I don't want it. I don't want it to become a, like a little trap uh, where you're the godfather, so you must behave like the godfather and <laughs> kill everyone. <laughs> no, I yeah, but I, I, uh, yeah. So um, I'm just trying to understand my own space. Uh, yeah, in Durban, because you, as you know, bruh. Uh, this is a unique space. It's an, uh, it's an, it's a much maligned space. People don't look on it and say, "I want to go to Durban and be great." No, everyone like I mean, depending though, if you like live in a small coastal town, yeah, then that is the thing. Like so yeah. many of our friends have like come here because you know, like people that I know have come from smaller towns. But everyone from Durban is like, "Oh, I got to go to Joburg. I got to go to Cape Town to like really make it." You know, it is perspective. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, depending on what your 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 starting places, Durban might be a step up. Uh, yeah, a step but up. most people don't see it that way. But well, in our business, not really, because uh, our business involves reaching mass people at some point. But there are so many people in Durban. Like the thing that irritates me is that people, you know, always look at the Joburg comedy scene and like think it just started like how it is now. Yeah. Like it started somewhere. Like it started with you know small gigs. It started with what we're doing essentially. So that's why I'm always like. 
yeah, you could leave, but you could also help make us, you know, like Joburg. Maybe not on the same scale, yeah. but for our si- the size of our city, we could definitely have a thriving comedy scene. And I think we're doing it. So I think we're getting there. Yeah, we, we way better. Um, my first my first year, Bob. I want to actually, this is perfect because this is what I want to talk about. What was it like when you started doing comedy in Durban? And how long ago was that? Uh, okay, so it's it's a bizarre story. Uh, I used to I used to impersonate people at work. <laughs> You're good at voices. Yeah, yeah. If, if I know you, I will. I'll, I'll nail you at some point. Yeah, I've been on the receiving end of that. <laughs> and so I found myself um, impersonating people like while I was working at the newspaper, and then it got to a point where it was like, okay, Carvin, you you can. Uh, you can take this to the stage now. Well, that's what my colleagues would say. And I was like, nah. So in 2006, I decided I'll try it out. Only because a competition appeared. Comedy competition. Okay, so when you think of a comedy competition, <laughs> I don't know what most people think of, like a bunch of... I've been in one, I think, or two. Okay. Yeah. Usually not like very well attended or... Whatever. No, the whole point of a comedy competition is to get the comedians to bring their friends. So if you have like each comedian bringing like 10 people, then you've got a full show and you're only paying the one comedian who wins. And sometimes you're not even paying that guy. So that's why like comedy competitions, just like Battle of the Bands, are just fucking whack in my eyes. Hmm. But anyway. Yeah. So what happened was, because this competition didn't, didn't turn out like that. This one had hundreds and hundreds of people. The show was divided over five shows. Oh fuck! At Sibaya, like 600 people per show. That's now I don't know how the the, the the promoters managed to pull that off to sell a show for five shows, 600 people a show, but a bunch of people who'd never done stand up before. <laughs> <laughs> that is. How did that go though? Like they had a host. People would. People was a. It was a. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a that cemetery. That could turn into a riot. Like, it was get all over the place. Because usually with lots of people, it's a bit easier. I mean, I find like, but I don't know, like 600 people. That's a decent audience if you can get like 200 of them to laugh. Like you're doing pretty well there. Like because then everyone will, you know, it gets contagious. But if nobody laughs, then that's even more that's contagious. Uh, yeah, that spreads quite quickly. Yeah, and so I entered this competition. And uh, the organizer put me last because, I don't know. <laughs> he, he, says, just, he, he saw says, something in you. He says, uh, the way the show's going, I'm going to put you last. And I, don't, I just feel like you might have something. I just, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's weird. Um, I don't know if you've ever been backstage with me. I'm, I'm very quiet. Yeah. Um, and like, you know how backstage can be, especially when the nerves are high, everyone's testing jokes. And like, I'm just backstage, dudes are just testing jokes. There's ladies that are just testing jokes. Actually, 2006 or whatever, we had more ladies, I guess, <laughs> than we have now. <laughs> it's so weird uh, at the yeah. start. So there I am just testing. No, I'm not testing anything. I'm kind of just sitting. And like the one guy even got like, says, what's up with you, bro? We all like, you're just sitting here, not even saying anything. Just I was in like, your own space, this, yeah. is our, this is our role, mostly. Yeah, yeah. And let's just say it was a good competition. I had a good time. Um, I learned uh, 
So you went on last and you're saying it's yeah. a good competition. How did you do though? Like, so the first how was night, your first set there? It was basically, I think it's five shows. I went on the, and then the, when I came off, the guy just said to me, man, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you had something. And then the, the bug just like fucking hit. You were just like, I'm in. And I was, I was back the next day. I was back the next day. And at the end, they had like this tally. People had to vote. They had like papers. Everyone voted. And then they said to me, oh, you know, uh, oh, you want, a, you want a trip to London. There was a prize. Holy shit. Yeah. And a contract with some management company. So I was like not interested in, all, in that. They yeah. said, you, no, they, they go together. I said, oh, you can, you can keep it all. <laughs> <laughs> I think I found something that I want to do. And, uh, and that was the beginning. And that was the end. <laughs> Why was it the end? Because there was no other gigs to do. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end, basically. Um, until I got a call um, that there was this festival happening. Amashlai uh, Tegu. Okay. Which is like a laughing Durban. Durban's laughing. Amashlai Tegu. Comedians of Durban. Okay, cool. And... Um, this dude called me up and and he said, uh, listen, I uh, heard you win in this competition. Would you like to come through and do something? And uh, so this is like now my first proper like comedy show with comedians like who know what they do. actually know what they're doing. Yeah, in the industry. So the host is Luis Ogola and... <laughs> Your second show, the host is Luis Ogola. Yeah, and the headline is John Flissmas. Fuck. And okay. the new guys is myself and Sofiso Nene. <laughs> Fuck. When I did the underground in Joburg, I had that experience where it was like, I think John Flissmas was headlining and Chris mm. Forrest was hosting. Oh no, it wasn't Flissmas. It was Dylan Oliphant that was headlining actually. Yeah. And Chris Forrest was like hosting and I'm like, I'd done like 15 gigs before that. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, there okay. you were. Yeah. I was like, shit, so this is stand-up comedy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was, it's a very important show, that one, because a cousin of mine had, had bought tickets for the show. Um, I don't even think he realized I was in it until, I, until he saw me. Uh, my, my father's sister's son. It's a very close cousin. And uh, that was the last time he saw me perform. Um, because he passed away. He never got to see me again. And so you obviously glad you got to do that. Yeah, man, I'm glad. I'm glad it got, that got to happen. And it was a good show. I, I was gonna say, I assume it went yeah. well, or else you might have regretted that for the rest of your mm. life. You might have been like, oh, the it was only a good time show. Saw me um, was. It was in I think October. It was a good show. It was, it was great. And I think, even though it was my only my second show, the everyone that was there was like, there was this dude Kenny McKenzo. I don't know if you know him. I think He's I an actor, acts in a lot of yeah. Schuster movies. Okay. Big guy, the big guy, yeah, white yeah. wedding guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, he was okay, in the man. audience, and he came to me afterwards. He says, "Dude, oh, that was amazing. I don't know where you come from or what you're up to, but this, you've got this." How? Okay, that's an insane experience, though. Like for anyone to have, like, you know, both your first time doing comedy went amazingly, and then you did it multiple times in a row. You had the, you won the competition. Or, yeah, I yeah. won the competition. So you first time you do this thing, and then the second time you're on stage with like, you know, the big acts, the big acts. Yeah, the real big acts of, uh, of the. Industry. And people think you're amazing. So how, like, so this is crazy to people like me who, I mean, the first time I did comedy went. Okay, like it went well, people laughed, mm. but I also fucked up and like, 
that's a whole other story. But ever since then, it's been a roller coaster. It's never been like this thing okay. where it's like I've always got it and like. Okay, let me, let me like, I work so hard to like get like a tiny bit of like laughter out of people, and you just get on stage and it looks like you're just like doing the thing. Mm. And you even say you don't really write. You just have yeah. it okay, in so your mind. Let's let's backtrack. But at that point, I am focused on the show coming up. So after that show, I do my next shows in December. <laughs> so you got all that time to prepare. Which is with uh, now Mark Banks, Rachisa Ledicha, <laughs> Joey Razdin. Casual. <laughs> that's, that's my third show. Casual. <laughs> and it's in, it's in the city hall in this big, like, whatever. So that's three shows, 2006. <laughs> or three, like, things. Now, I mean, those are still better shows than most of us have done, like, since. Yeah, but this is crazy. I don't... I don't, I don't know how comedy works at that point, so I write new sets. For each one. For every event. <laughs> Brand new. But I think a lot of people do that when they start out. Like, yeah. I did that when I started. I know, like, quite a few people, like, even now, they do that. They come with a whole new set the second time they do comedy at Underground. You're like, no, no, work on the stuff you have. Like, mm. you know, but anyway, sorry, carry on. So you were writing. I, so, but I, I'm spending days, days and days for my 10 minutes or whatever, eight minutes. But did you know what was good? Days like, and, I'm spending days and days. Um, no, I'll tell you what happened is, I, I'd seen, I'd never really attended much, I, I didn't really attend comedy. I attended one show where I sat in the front, Mark Banks and Riyad Musa and David Cow. But had you watched Govinda. it on TV? I'd, the only thing, the only reference I had in my mind was uh, Comedy Showcase. It was okay. a TV show that played on a Sunday night. Stuart Taylor and Kurtz Kunrad. So it's uh, South African stuff. South Afri yeah, South Africa. Uh, which I think they were only one year in two at the time. <laughs> and they were already on TV. <laughs> yeah, some guys are probably pretty lucky that they, they were just there they early. They like, really quick. Yeah, I mean, I guess you also had that situation happen for you that like there weren't a lot of comedians at the time and you mm -hmm. were good at it off the bat. So Yeah, so, so, so Bob, what happened was I found myself um, working really hard at my eight minutes that was coming up, like for the weeks. And I, I, I don't know how you prepare, but I was I was going through the jokes in the mirror the whole day. Yeah, when I started, I used rhythm, to do that. Going like, through the rhythm, finding it, telling it back to myself, writing it down physically. I always find writing is a good thing, even though I don't write much anymore. It, I find that writing process was critical in the beginning. Especially on paper. Like on can, paper, like on, definitely on make physical a paper. And cool, and, and then I wrote that, and then uh, I would go and, and do it. And I remember I came off stage uh, at the City Hall. Apparently, I took forever. <laughs> and I uh, went backstage, and Joey Razdin, this is only my third show. Joey Razdin says to me, you must do a one-man show. Like, you know, like a, like, a, like a swipe, like, you know, like a... Because you, cause you're taking, like... Yeah, which I, don't which I don't understand, like, the comedy, like, colloquialisms and the in-house Because you've only done this three Yeah, times. it's only my third time. And he's saying I'm going to do my one-man show. I'm thinking, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So anyway, this is fascinating. But So those, those shows, though, were, were also the reason I stopped comedy. You stopped comedy? <laughs> yeah. Cause so you were also a journalist at this time? or were you? Yes, I was a journalist. But I was also very uh, conservative, religious. Yeah. So, so the environment was I was like this is not for me yeah because the comedy environment if you don't know is kind of sinful <laughs> like if you uh, yeah. you don't have to partake in everything but you're around a lot of stuff like 
you know, people drink like no matter what, like that's just standard. But then there is all the other bullshit around it, and like, yeah, yeah. So I understand, like, I mean, you know, for some Muslim was, guys, I'm it's 20, hard to I'm come 22 to Winston. Yeah. At the time. So like for some Christian guys, for some Muslim guys, yeah. it is so harder to like world. come into like you know this den of iniquity type shit. Yeah, I'm 22. I'm young. I uh, I got my religious like views. I've held my whole life on like, 22. And you were like really like stringent on them. Like you Yeah, 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 yeah. I was I was quite strong on it. And I just decided that nah I'm gonna take a break. And so I, that's what I did. I took a break. I mean every now and then I'd get a like a hey come here and do something and then something interesting happened. Uh Richelieu. Richelieu Benoit. Yeah. Um came to my house. <laughs> Uh, we both lived in Newlands East. He came to my house and he says to me, uh, he wants to be a comedian. And I was like, yo, dog. Because you're the I, only guy he knew yeah, I'm the only guy. before. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, we can, we can, we can, we can get it. <laughs> Let's get it. And then we started pulling together this, this, this show. I said, I got a friend who's really funny. Do you want another one? Who's really funny. Uh, Timothy Williams. I grew up with him. Very good impersonating. We used to do that together. I'm going to get him involved. And another friend is funny, you get him involved. Uh, and Timothy Williams comes in, the other guy drops out. And then uh, Richard says, oh, there's this guy. Uh, he's a weird guy. He's a Zulu guy who was raised by Indian people, almost like he was <laughs> raised by wolves, kind of vibe. <laughs> and uh, his name is Senzo Mtetua, and uh, he's, he really wants to give this a go. So I said, cool. And I get an inbox from a guy that I knew. Um, his mom was my teacher. Um, saying, hey, listen, um, i got a friend who's, he really wants to try stand-up, so I'm getting hold of you to kind of see if uh, maybe you can... Um, Help him out? Yeah, yeah. So I say, cool, what's his name? He says, no, his name's Neil Green, and he really wants to give us a go. So you've kind of, in a weird way, been like this, like, orphan father, like, <laughs> yeah. even from the get-go. <laughs> I like, was a kid myself, yeah. child parents. <laughs> so cool, getting contact with Neil. Tell him when it's gonna happen. A friend, I, I used to rap back then. So, yes, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, I was a Christian rapper, so the dude that I used to, I used to roll with was a group called Spin the Flavor. Spin the Flavor. Yeah, Clint from Westville, and there's dudes from Marion Ridge in that group, and we had our own little thing. Me and my friends from Newlands, so we used to all hang out together. And then I said to, I said to Clint, hey Clint, bro, listen, I need to do the show. Uh, you know how to talk to people. Like, you know, I don't know if you know how to organize venue. Clint's like, no problem, he lives in Westville. He goes to Twisted Lemon, a little bar Oh, there. I remember Twisted Lemon. <laughs> oh, God. So we go to Twisted Lemon. There's a guy named Brad that's the manager. Of course. <laughs> of like, course, Brad's the manager. <laughs> like, you go to any bar, like, in Westville, <laughs> Hillcrest, and the manager's name is Brad. I yeah. don't care. Brad. Oh, the guy actually contacted me recently. There was like, is he doing another thing? No, nah, just no. He lives somewhere in the world. It's like, okay. oh man, remember that time we had a twisted lemon? And so he agrees. We put together a show for thirty bucks. Uh, uh, Rishlu says, let's call it Laughing Stock. I don't ah, care at that point. Laughing Stock still exists. Yeah, I'm like, I don't care what it's called. Uh, Rishlu says he'll host. I was like, but it's your first time. <laughs> He's like, no, no, you're the host. I was like, cool, I don't mind. So we get there and we do the show. Uh, and people come, and Richelieu did this amazing, I got a shock. I walk in that room and it's just full of people. Um, and I was like, wow, <laughs> this is about to happen. 
and it's and it's. Were you nervous because like of the inexperience of everyone else? Or um, like because I, th- I thought there was a little bit more expectation in me because those run-up shows had newspaper coverage and whatever, and there was big billboards and um, what's those moving vans with those like. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah, what you're talking yeah, about. Was, oh, so it was a lot of marketing. So people still thought I was a comedian legit. And so did that, so. That actually did, that pressure got to you a little bit. Like on the night, on the night of Twisted Limb, I'll tell you what happened on the night. Rishlu was, in football they say unplayable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for like a guy who did it his first time, he was just, yo, yo, yo. You know, he started off hosting and he, and he kind of never left hosting his whole career. It's yeah, he's, he's, he's a good host, yeah. But like the first time off the bat, he didn't just do like a five, I don't do comedy. His first thing was hosting. And then he went up uh, and just, and then Timothy Williams, good friend of mine from childhood, went up and just like, just stole the night with like this amazing seven or eight, seven minutes of just, yo. Did that give you relief or like did it challenge you? A bit of pressure, yeah. I knew he's funny though. We, him and I have been friends since we were kids. So he was very good at doing like impersonations or whatever. And then Senzo, just first time, just like, like just like Murdered also it. amazing and then Neil Neil was the wild card I, I don't know what to expect I don't know much about him and Neil had uh, he had big he had like dreadlockies dreadlocks. <laughs> I've, I've seen photos yeah, yeah. He had like dreadlocks and he had this uh, like a Mandela shirt <laughs> and uh, very nice like just the sweetest human being from day one Neil Green <laughs> Neil Green gets up and he does this uh this joke about Norox. Uh, <laughs> the yeah. stock. Yeah, yeah, the stock. And uh, uh, I, can still, I can still see the guy, Bo, laughing. And he caught the Norox and like the room was just... <laughs> they weren't ready for Neil Green uh, at that point. <laughs> was, it just, was it just too esoteric, like too weird? Yeah, Neil was, Neil was already ahead of us uh, in um, a weird way. I love, that's what I love about Neil. Is yeah. like his, <laughs> like he's learned to like actually make it work now. Like, yeah. but, his stuff was weird, man. His stuff, like like the structure, even like of his yeah, jokes. Yeah, he was ahead of us already. It, yeah, uh, and uh, at the time it didn't seem like it, but uh, in retrospect, he he was a, he was he was ahead of us. Even though I'd been doing it a bit longer. Yeah, he was he was ahead, and um, he 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 bombed so badly <laughs> that he he didn't welcome back the host. He called me on. Weird line. Please welcome on stage. Was, was he just like carving? Yeah, yeah, like? yeah. And then I went up, and I'm gonna be honest. I, I, I'm not proud of that night. Uh, there's lots of moments in that night that I just, yes, I'm just like, what was going on here? There's actually a video of that night. Oh, have you seen it? Like, have you oh yeah, it? many times. I think it's on YouTube even. And um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's insane I know <laughs> oh, like I would never let that stuff like yeah, be out there like my exists. early stuff like I'm still because I'm in that weird space of like but I guess it's just my own insecurities and I guess that's the thing that other people have like that I don't like that's just security and like what they're doing they're like mm. I'm funny I know I'm funny here comes the shit look at how funny I am whereas I'm like I think I'm funny, but I don't know if everyone else does. So mm. it's like that weird like balance. Yeah, yeah. So fuck, like to have like my early stuff, I would just be mortified because. Yeah, I'm. I I wouldn't even. Oh, never mind. Because you're not like 
as funny as you are when you start, like you're still not going to be as funny as you are later on. Because yeah. once you start learning the thing, you start getting better at it. Yeah, you learn timing. Uh, timing is probably the biggest trick to learn. Yeah, uh, brah, just like the beginning of something. Um, now, just before that, I'd bumped into Glenn Bow. Yeah, who like started comedy at the Winston. Yeah, no, no, no. Who started comedy at the Winston? Glenn started at Thunder Road Diner. Yes, Thunder Road Rock Diner that used to be on Florida Road here. Yes, on the corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thunder Road Rock. And Glenn had invited me to come there. So they were, oh, so before Laughing Zog, there was a show I did with Glenn. Glenn, uh, and that first, was the first show for Little Paul, Paul Cohen. Paul Cowan, yeah. Yeah, but it was then was Little Paul at the time. Yeah. Uh, there's another dude, I forget his name. Um, Around that time. Yeah. Not uh, Dusty. No, no, no. It was too early for Dusty. Dave Thompson. Okay. I think he was like a burn owner or? That would be Dave Campbell. Dave Campbell. Dave okay, Campbell. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was Dave Campbell. That's the dude. And uh, I don't I didn't know he tried comedy. Yeah, he did. It was horrible. Paul Cohen. I was like, yeah. There's something there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was so cool, Glenbo and myself, and uh, there was a new world of comedy. It was dark. I saw people with shirts with a bus. You know where the sign says Durban on the top of the bus? It said hell. <laughs> <laughs> it was the craziest. Uh, those are my people. Uh, like, oh, I couldn't believe it. Originally, actually came to that show. Um, that's where he kind of also just to, you were so interested in comedy. Uh, and then, so what happened was, this the guy started posting pictures and then someone wrote why would you open a comedy show in Durban when there's already one <laughs> referring to the Thunder Road Diner show oh wow yeah so, so who wrote this uh, you don't know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's some I'm gonna say it's Glenn I'm gonna <laughs> oh, okay, go to the so limit and say it's someone. Glenn it might be that's a Glenn that, that's a <laughs> Glenn boy back in the day might have done that yeah uh, the person never said the name wasn't Glenn but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's it's Glenn with someone associated to what Glenn was doing. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, I was like, so like Durban, tension from the they, start. They can't be two comedy kings <laughs> in Durban. They can't be two comedy kings in Durban. <laughs> tension from the start. Why would you organize one when there's already one? And I remember still trying to defend it uh, in the posts. Like, I wish you could find those posts. And probably delete it off Facebook or whatever. I've changed my profile. Yeah, and like same. trying to defend it. Um, Oh no, it's a different market. This <laughs> is so ridiculous now. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so there we were, bro. Beginning of things, bro. The things, things was, it was happening. And then, uh, me, I was having my own model uh, crisis, bro, with this comedy thing. Uh, and then, Laughing Stock really was gonna take off and move into the Seabrooks Theatre. And at this point, I was now completely out because the. I didn't swear, right? Yeah. And the swearing was so intense that I was like, yeah, I really don't want to be here. Did that bug you? Like, just hearing people Bugged swear? Bug me to a point where I left. Fuck. I retired. <laughs> I stopped. <laughs> now it's cool, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm over that. I stopped. I was like, nah. This world is not for me. And I left. And that was that. And Rishi came to see me at my house <laughs> saying, please, bro, come back. We got some other people involved. They had recruited, new uh, recruited his friend Crazy. So early on, like Richelieu was kind of like the organizer. Of oh things. yeah, Richelieu was the organizer. Richelieu and Sean were everything, bruh. I wasn't involved in organizing those shows. The building of the colored market was all Richelieu. Um, 
prior to him, there was no coloured market in Durban. Uh, or coloured people attending, accessing shows. Because it's weird, because it seems, like coming into comedy now, you would assume like, you know, that market's just always been there. And nah. that, but like, someone had to create it. was the dude who, who really mined and made that market. Uh, made it market a thing. Well, the thing is, coloured people do support like comedy. their own, like yeah. in the yeah, like comedy. But no, like, like coloured people will attend all comedy. Yeah. Um, they, well, they, to be honest, I perform to coloured people more than I perform to white people. Yeah, they'll attend by all comedy. a long margin. Like in Durban, especially, like yeah. coloured people and Indian people come to comedy shows a hell of a lot. Well, yeah. especially across um, yeah across cultural boundaries. They'll cross cultural boundaries for that. That's correct. And. Uh, uh, and you come oh, come back. I was be like, ah, uh, you guys carry on, man. I'm just I'm gonna focus on my journalism, and be a great journalist. And you were a great journalist. I actually want to get into that for a yeah. little bit just now. And uh, you guys carry on. And I was completely like convinced it's not gonna happen. And he said to me, okay, let's do this. We'll do a show where none of us are gonna swear. Imagine. No swearing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Rishlu was like, we'll do a show where no, none of us are gonna swear. <laughs> no swearing. I never thought of that. <laughs> and I said, okay, maybe, 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 maybe. I mean, uh, I was like, and I was thinking, should I come back? Should I not come back? Should I come back? Should I not come back? Should I come back? Should I not come back? So, he, what, do you think he was doing the show for you or for the market? He's doing show for me. Rishlu um, was determined to do this comedy thing with me because that's how it started. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like you danced with who brought you? Yeah. And so what I said, I said I'll, come, I'll come have a look and come watch one of the days just to see what's the vibe. So I got there and when I got there I realized uh, I'd been away for so long that everyone was streets ahead of me in terms of comedy. Did that light a fire under you? Absolutely. I watched Neil. Uh, Grayson, Rishlu, and I was like, Wayne, Tamar, I was like, and I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how good they had got so quick. But in the space of a year, they were rip-roaring funny. Yeah, but that's, I mean, doing the thing, you know, gets you there. At the end of the day, the more you do it, the better you get. The more but you no, practice you must, it. You must understand you they were doing a show, what, a show every two weeks or every month? Yeah, that's still more than you were doing. Two shows yeah. a week. No, two shows a month. A month yeah. You know, Friday, Plus Saturday. practicing in the mirror. And they were, uh, Neil had these jokes, brah. Yo! But I can see Neil like sitting down and like analyzing what oh. went wrong like with the first I, time. I, I, like, I was shocked. I even said to Rishlu, because Rishlu still said to me, oh, me and Green, no, we cool, we, Green's back. We, Achuni's back after what happened. I just said, Lemon, you nah, what? Uh, Rishlu's critical, yeah, bro. Yeah. Because after the Twisted Lemon, Neil sent me an, an, a message. Hey, bruh, thanks for the chance. I'm sorry the way it went kind of vibe. Uh, I, don't, I don't think, this is something I've always wondered about, and I'm sorry that it went that way, but I don't think I'm ready to let go of it yet. Yep. But right now, I'm just going to step back. So when I when I heard that he was back and he was in the swing, I was like, oh. <laughs> then I got there and I was like, whoa. That happened sometimes. I was amazed. I, made, I bumped into Arnold Payne around that time. And okay. Arnold Payne... Was he, he had been doing it on his yeah. own for a while? How Arnold Payne was a Christian MC. Yeah, yeah. Clown. Proper clown. Yeah. He's the community. He's a dude at school that everyone, like... There's the, the funny dude coming. Okay. He's old school, funny, like, community funny king. Okay, cool. You can ask anyone. Ask Neil. Tell yeah, that's the thing, because I didn't really know him, but he's so famous. <laughs> like, Honor Payne was the dude. And then Honor Payne contacted me and said, hey, his name's Honor, do you want to do a show with me, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I was now 
he was a Christian guy, and I was like, okay, this makes this a bit God. more sense. Yeah, yeah, let's figure this out. Let's figure this out. So uh, we kind of ref- reformed <laughs> with new acts in a Christian, the in a Christian space. So him... So, so taking your Christian rap thing and bringing it into comedy. <laughs> yeah, like, like almost... No, taking the comedy thing and bringing it into church, rather. Because we're, uh, okay. we're taking the, laugh, like the laughing stock sort of twisted lemon Just moment. Just bring it there, yeah, yeah. And we, we're going to now take it into this space. Timothy Williams, who was in Laughing Stock, was also in the same church as me. So we already had one dude on pain, wanted to jump on for... Uh, he was basically his first full-on comedy gig he was a funny dude he did funny things but not but he hadn't done like but he wasn't a, a comedian gig. like yeah full-on and then I got I got uh, Jadile Bauer who was 12 or 13 you, years old I was old. gonna say what like because I remember <laughs> him starting comedy I thought like way later than that so damn what, what happened with <laughs> he him was, he was like 13 12 13 he was in church with us too he was from our church and he was uh, he was essentially his mother and my mother were essentially like best friends okay <laughs> So I was like, cool. Um, uh, he's a funny kid. I still like him. Funny kid, take him with us. And so we, we just we used to put him on stage and he used to just talk. Oh, damn. Like, I didn't know that. Like, I thought yeah. he started, like, nah, like nah. Jadal's, Jadal's there from, from when he was, he was, like, 13 years old. 12, oh, 13 years nice. old. We used to put it, we used to, like, we used to roll. You're, you're going to write the book on, like, the yeah. all of this one day, man. Nah, like, maybe, bro. So we did this thing. We, we formed this uh, Christian space on it on it off the bat immediate hit like just people were like whoa because on it's extremely talented yeah sing voice he can do it yeah all. timing is very good i mean what happened was i was still not i was still technically retired <laughs> <laughs> but on it and jadal i think on it not so much jadal on it had now flown floor had crossed over into the laughing stock space so he was working in, in that space. I still wasn't working in the general comedy space. Yeah. And then, uh, this is 2007. Imagine, the next time I would get on stage after that was two, was June 2008. Um, so like a full year a bit later. Almost, basically. yeah. Like a long time. Um, not a full year, maybe about nine, eight, nine months. But previous to that, I was out for another three, four months. But then... <laughs> like an injury, like a... <laughs> But was that because of just lack of gigs or no, lack I was, of interest? No, I was not. In, in uh, I didn't want to be a comedian in uh, in a so, swearing industry. But, but then you were a journalist at this time. I was a journalist, so I was and focusing on my journalism. Why did you get into journalism? Like, what about it was so appealing to you? So at school, um, I wanted to be an actor of sorts. Okay. I wanted to be someone who acted. So did you stuff. want to act as a journalist? <laughs> nah. So. Um, I couldn't study drama because drama wasn't like something you could do. But I okay. figured if I studied Fair journalism, enough. I was close enough to media that if I never got to try to be on stage or on screen, I would still have a job that, in the industry that involved talking or writing. But anyway, so did you want writing. to do mostly entertainment stuff? It wasn't me. No, no, not entertainment. No. I wanted to be just. When I got into college, I wanted to just be a journalist. Okay. Which and college I, you go to? So I went to Nintel Tech. Mattel Tech. <laughs> yeah, that's how old I am. Mattel Technicon, yeah. And that was a that was a mind bender. I was I was sixteen when I started okay. my national diploma in journalism. I was a kid. I was really a kid. Um, and I remember the first I met the first dude I met was uh, Zayn Nabi. Okay, I don't uh, think I know. He was an Indian dude who was white, like 
in every way. It was I was absolutely fascinated. I never had a white friend in my life. And so your first white friend was Indian. Was actually an Indian dude. Okay. <laughs> He's like, oh, bro, you're going to burn. It's six million. It's sarin gas. It's awesome, man. Sarin gas. Like stuff like, like a world I didn't know. Oh, good reference. Oh, going to go to Splashy, Splashy Finn. Like yeah. just things like, uh, it was just like totally, uh, it's, was, what was the word he used to say? Totally radical. <laughs> Not, no, it, was, it wasn't totally, it was, anyway. And he, he had such, he had this way with white people that it was just fascinating to me. Uh, like just put it in. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and one day when we were older, I asked him, how do you do it? And he explained to me, he says, no, I talk the language. I talk rugby. I talk the music. Uh, Nicolette Lotta was in the band. She studied with us at the, at the, at the college. She was in Southern Gas as a bassist. Okay. Uh, and uh, she, 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 she eventually went on to be famous, to be infamous rather, as the, we were all friends. And uh, what did she do? She killed her p- appearance. Oh, in I Westville, The Westville case. Oh, snap. Okay, I had no yeah. idea about like yeah. that. That's like, a bizarre story. I was sitting at my desk when I was a journalist at Independent Saturday. And the story, this case had happened, but it never occurred to me because we called her Nikki. And the story about this children of Hardis and Nicolette. And I, I was sitting one day and looking at the screen. You know, on the pages before they go for prints, you proofread them. Yep. And I'm looking at the picture, and there's a picture of her looking into the lens. So obviously looking into my face. Yeah, it's a... And, and and I'm just staring at it, thinking of some other stuff, and, 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 and she and jumped out, and I was like, oh, it's Nikki. It's Nikki from college. Fuck. And like, it's the way, Nikki. How many. I mean, that's the thing that happens a lot. Zakes Montwini and all of them were at that college. Zakes Montwini was. Yeah, what the fuck? There was another dude, Merlin. Merlin is also a famous musician. I, we used to be. Like, I didn't so know. So, this was a college of just people that became famous. Yeah. Like, like Zanicon, like Natal yeah. Tech. Yeah, it was pretty. But, I mean, there weren't a lot of colleges like, at the time, though. So, that there was loads. Of, there was loads. Really? It was like, see, so yeah, it was gang colleges back then. Oh, okay. It was just a coincidence. Um, Our college had music, fine art. Kurt was there, too, Kurt Wilson was studying fine arts same year. Oh snap. Yeah. Okay, uh, I didn't know Kurt was that old, but cool. Yeah. Kurt Kurt's dad and my dad are actually like best friends, like You're so good with like remembering people and like with and, and also with Yeah, Kurt was the weird even back then, like, bro. Yeah, I mean but some people He's are, not weird cool. now. <laughs> really? No, he's not weird. I like, now. Dude, I was, to me he was weird back dude, then. Dude, I was fucking weird like in school. I was like school shooter vibes. Like yeah. fully and like I was I hated everyone and everyone hated me and like I definitely. I find it so bizarre because when I think of your first gig, I think of a room full of people who were there to see Bob Perfect. So. Yeah, and that was because I like gained friends from being an outlandish human being within a scene that like accepted that. Like I thought and, you like, were like, really popular. I was like, oh, they came to see this popular kid. I was fairly like within the music scene. I was fairly popular. Yeah. Like, and I helped like because of Durban is yours and. Like I put on gigs and stuff, and I was I attended gigs religiously, like because I found like my family essentially, like because that's the thing in school I was hated and like no one liked me, like no one, and like I was such an outcast that eventually I found the Winston and I found Burn and I found people there who kind of got me, and like that was just the end, like and then within that scene I thrived, like because I was so passionate about it, and, like oh. I, my passion was like contagious, I guess people. Like, you know, people didn't like me as well as people really liked me because was, of the stuff I Was comedy I do. good or bad for you then? Pardon? Was comedy good or bad? For me, good. Like, good. I love, like, like, I am really frustrated with the music scene and with my role in all of it. And You've had lots of fights with East Coast Radio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's whatever. 
Um, it's more the actual personal stuff that I'm just like, kind of over and just like on the low, on the ground. Like I'm much happier to be a part of the comedy scene, to be a comedian as well. Like I feel like this is what I really want to do more and more. Is like I love communicating with people. I just struggle with getting my points across in a way that most people can get them. Or I've never I've never focused on that as much. I guess back in the day I didn't care if you got it. It was take it or leave it. And now it's more about figuring out. You're more empathetic. Yeah. Definitely, like I mean, I'm sure you can see that, and like that's been a struggle for me actually, like within my comedy. You well, you know, um, it's interesting because when I first saw you, I was still very like deeply religious, and, and, your, and your stuff was very religious. Yeah. Now this is an interesting thing because you once asked me, I don't know if you remember, when 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 you do the religious stuff, you asked me specifically, how do I feel about it? Yeah. And I remember how unsettled I was by the question because. I felt as if um, if I say to you that it's I find it offensive that I'm uh, I'm not being comedically cool, cool yeah. like you know what I'm saying. But at the time, I was like um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to 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 like roll with someone who did gags like that. Like that, yeah. Um, like that's the thing that Neil even has like trouble with sometimes. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Because when you, I remember being religious. You know, like I was within the vibe, and like, yeah, you get. Because you were also happy, like clappy at some points. Yeah, yeah. like in my teen years, like we I had found that God. Yeah, and so you were angry about it though. Because very. You. I felt lied to. I felt like. Yeah, because I mean, also I'd found like a father, and like you know, I'd found community. Like I guess before music and stuff like that, but kind of at the same time of me finding the music scene I found church and God and so you know I had community and family and stuff like that how do you how do you reconcile those those feelings of what of finding something now with with knowing that it was nothing it's it wasn't nothing or suspecting that it was nothing the thing is it wasn't nothing like those experiences were real that I had mm. you know they're real for me and there was a lot that I learned and there is stuff within religion that you know, general principles of life that are pretty good to live by and stuff like that. I just hate the structures of it all. I hate the the sh the, the scam like of mm. it all. You know, like I I just also hate that it's not like real like to me and to a lot of people. More and more, they're starting to get there. So, but when I so that's the thing. You know, you feel lied to when you go, like go because I was like I was Christian and I was atheist and then I was Christian and then I was atheist and I've been atheist the whole time. And you settled. Yeah, it. I mean, I'm not even like, quest like I'm fucking done with like I'm done with the question even, you know, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. which is why I don't I even really do don't push it material anymore. anymore. Do you think that the the whole thing of like, like swearing God and like calling it out, is part of your your convincing of yourself further? Yeah, yeah. like that was really like a lot of that was for me. Like, okay, I mean, I get that. That's why I don't do it anymore. You know, like. It's, I don't get as much and also it was to rile people up you know it was to intentionally push those buttons and like to try and convince people of my side but in a very mean way like, how did you get past that? fuck like I just I don't know it just took a lot of time I guess and also just does it, delving does, into it and do you also feel like it doesn't matter? what? Like, whether, I, whether they believe or not believe other people like not so much but at the same time if those beliefs then start having an impact on the way they treat other people negatively then yeah like that's my biggest issue with it is like there are dangerous ideas within religion so if there are dangerous cool, ideas cool. everywhere yeah like but that's also the thing is more and more of my friends are like as I grew older 
like are religious and you know it's weird like I guess my Muslim friends made me more accepting of Christianity because I'm more, way more accepting of like my Muslim friends but I was so against Christianity because I was Christian so <laughs> yeah. so yeah so I had that whole thing like you know hanging with guys like Simi and that and like just and then also just learning more reading more like but I went fully atheist and like I was even Islamophobic for a while and then like because of like reading stuff like Sam Harris's book and like you know the Muslim menace and like but then you just start seeing people for who they are not their ideology yeah exactly like it's not about the greater ideology it's very much about who someone is individually but I do worry about their ideology sometimes and like how it can be used against them and how it can be used against me and everyone else. Um, but anyway, we're getting way too much into my own stuff. But in terms of your, like, I guess we can then segue into your religious, like, yeah. like what changed there? Because you were so religious, it was so, such a part of your, like, identity. Yeah. I knew you as, you know, like, and that, that, exactly that I would ask you, like. That you'd ask me that question. How yeah, you because you were this? the most, like, it's weird because Neil's kind of, you know, wasn't the person who I'd expect to be religious. But he's at that probably time. more religious than I am. Exactly. So, <laughs> but you were someone within the community <laughs> so at the weird. time that, yeah. like, yeah, because also at the same time, as much as I want to, like, I've always wanted to pick at scabs, I don't necessarily want to hurt the people, like, you know, for real, like, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. So, you want to pick at the ideology. Yeah. But there were some mean things that I would say and do, and, like, I've tried to, like, get rid of that as much as possible. Yeah, so my, my own journey um, involves questioning. Uh, like, so I grew, up, I grew up in a very conservative setup from mother, father, all from the same community, uh, working in the same community. My father's a taxi driver in Newlands, my mother's a teacher in Newlands. <laughs> so community There's no reason to leave. <laughs> uh, we're living there, we're churching there, and so. I think from a quite quite a young age, I started asking myself, what's the chances that I was born into a, a into the right religion, into the right version of the oh, right religion? This, yeah, this is a question that even me within that like sphere, like yeah. So I was like, because my mom was like, this religious. is crazy. What's the chances, like? Really, like this one church we go to, this is the right Has one. That's correct. Yeah, that is so fortunate. I am so fortunate. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was in Sunday school till I was in matric because I was, I'm a, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. Yeah. I spent most of my child, my early, even my childhood into my teens. It's a fascinating book, especially when you're younger. Like it's so yes. like, because it's, you know, mythical. Like, and you. Yeah. Well, in my case, I was doing a lot of additional reading around it. Yeah. So situations in which the stories were written characters yeah you see because uh, i've got my matric and bible studies so like yeah. i've done all of this as well like, jesus and i was really like into it i went to bible school afterwards too just to kind of uh, missionary bible school because i wanted to uh, so you want really, to get into actually being a pastor no no i didn't i didn't really think i'd be a pastor but i, I was fascinated with understanding it okay um uh, there were so many questions and i came from a home my father is a man who 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 was a uh, he was a bit of a rebel um, a, a bit of a, a like a, a challenging figure spoke to power all the time at church um, so he didn't just go along with what was no, being said no no he was a problem he, within the system he was a huge yeah, problem yeah I, I was one of those <laughs> yeah and and, uh, and 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 had a and had a huge following if I can call it or support base people loved him um, um, partly so he because, was a, yeah a community leader 
people love him partly because he would challenge things all the time. He was not like someone who'd lie down. So I grew up in this in this challenging environment. Uh, people would be at the house. We'll actually get into that just now. Pastors, whatever, would just. He would just, they would just be challenging, he'd challenge ideas of why we don't wear, why must we take our hats off and things like that. Why must I wear a tie? It was like, he was like, you'd pick at it all the time, all the little bits. And say, question everything. The shitty rules that don't need to be there. Yeah, and he's saying used to be, think and do the right thing. What you must do when you were not you must think and do the right thing. (laughs) So do you think your morality comes from him? No, my morality doesn't come from me. My morality comes from my mother. She's the one who kind of really like followed it to the T. My father, probably by her standards, was not moral enough. Oh, is it? Because he listened. My father's a huge Marvin Gaye, Sam Cooke fan. Okay. Like the worldly music. We had we had gang worldly oh, music. Okay, okay, I get you. Through my father. My father was one who said, no, let them go to movies. My mother, no, they mustn't go to movies. It'll taint them. No, no, my father, my father grew up, my father grew up in an orphanage. Okay. So, uh, and then from the orphanage went into foster care. But he always talks about growing up in the streets because I suppose in that world where you grow up in a foster care, you know, it's one of those, it's not really a home kind of vibe. So you spend a, time, a lot of time in the streets. Yeah. All these friends he knew from the streets. Playing, he had yeah. all these homeboys that he grew up with. So he, he even though he became a Christian, his world was a lot wider than uh, my mother's, I guess. So he was he was always open to us being exposed to stuff, and I think that's where my spirit of protest is definitely from obs- from observation of him. Okay. Um, so your spirit of protest from him and your moral code from your mom. Definitely, yeah. My my father is uh, my father. You must know in the Khalid community, supporting the ANC was a was a like a look down on thing because remember. Really. Uh, yeah, because the idea was that uh, the, the the apartheid government gave colored people a bit more than black people yeah. so they want as long as they didn't treat us like blacks they're not so bad uh, <laughs> yeah. and they taught them that they Which were better somehow yeah. so they, they could be closer to them to white to, to whiteness than to blackness right unite divide them and unite them closer to us but my father was a was a was quite a um, a vocal ANC supporter my mother supported the Democratic Party and then the ACDP uh, my father used to wear a, like free Nelson Mandela shirts. Just openly. <laughs> <laughs> and it, like in a colored community that back then, that was not like a thing. <laughs> and I remember the one day at home, he had this Mandela shirt on. My mother just them. lost it. How can you wear this, this man shirt? This man's a terrorist. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it was like full on. My parents have changed so much over the years. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, oh, is he a terrorist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That was a common idea back in the oh, in, no, in, I know in that. our communities. Uh, like, well, just amongst many communities, because yeah, that's what the media here It was a common reported. idea. Yeah. I mean, that was the whole... Full on. My father was like, and, and even at church, uh, he taught politics, because he used to preach. Yep. He talked politics, and people used to get mad. <laughs> I didn't come here for this. <laughs> I didn't oh. come here for this, exactly. He used, to, he used to talk politics like yo, like crazy, and so uh, I think like observing him uh, as a as a human. Also, he was very, um, and he still is. He's one of those people that when he speaks, everyone keeps quiet. Um, I'm talking about I mean, in the you're, circle. You're fairly similar to that. 
you observe, you hold like, you hold space like he 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 held space like you won't believe, and he's also he's way more measured in his speech than I am. He had his voice. What must happen? And he's pauses. He has uh, these, these big pregnant pauses. So you listen. If every you look person. at the way the world is formed, ah, everyone is just now. <laughs> what does Lawrence got to say? I mean, that is the classic orator technique. I mean, yeah. you listen to uh, like uh, Mandela. You listen to what's it called? Barack Obama. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's crazy because he had that within his locker naturally. He was he. That's how he spoke all the time. And that's how he commanded attention. <laughs> yes, I'm just actually reliving some of those many times I heard him speak. And uh, yeah, so even my sense of humor, my approach, even when I speak on stage, I almost have to stop in the moment because I can hear him talking. <laughs> it's so weird. You hear it like him through you. I can hear him. I can hear his delivery and his and his his mannerisms coming through. And for, for well, because he had the timing. For, so. for my mother and my sister, for them, I'm just. Turn, I'm morphing into him in more ways than they. Even never, because you're being yeah. belligerent, to like. I'm also big too, like him now. Okay, nah. <laughs> they go in the community, yeah. Yeah, big bodied. Big bodied. Yeah. Yo, damn man, that is like uh, I wish I had more time, like to yeah. just chat to you about like, at length cool. about this. But I guess we got to get into like the modern era, and you would have had a big weekend this weekend. Mm. Uh, had. Things, you know, gone, I don't know, just well, I guess. Although things, according to most people, would be that things went really well for you this weekend. You just won two awards yeah. at the Savannah Comics Choice Awards. How are you feeling about that, man? Yeah, so um, it's probably been the most mixed I've felt about comedy in a while, since maybe retiring. Yeah, <laughs> since retiring the first two times. Yeah. So since retiring the first two times, there was purely mixed feelings. I found something, imagine I'm good of good at it off the bat, but it doesn't agree with who I am as a human being. With your principles, yeah. So what so I go with the I go with the principles. This is a little similar. Yeah. Um, winning an award is is a, like it's an amazing thing. It's something uh, it's you care something about. You've like but worked the, towards the conditions it. in which it happens disagrees with my, my principle or my standpoint in this particular matter. So uh, when I was nominated and, and when I realized that some of the nominations needed questioning, and which I of course did, yep. being Lawrence Goldstone's son, how would I let that go? <laughs> it's so funny. If you ever read the posts that uh, when I talk about this comics choice, yeah. a lot of people say, do your you father. father <laughs> this is Lawrence's son, like because they all think they know exactly what he's like. Uh, and so... Um, the principles of it led to me questioning it, and the outcome of that was going to be that we got an audit of the nominations or the process. Yeah, because which one I was of, questioning. One of the other people in the things like submitted, and according to the guidelines, probably shouldn't be there. But there's ambiguity in the like way that everything's set up. So you wanted an audit to just go, what is the truth here? Who is actually allowed to be in this thing? There was an impasse. We yeah. we couldn't reach. A general consensus. Yeah. As much as they claim there was a general consensus, there wasn't. No. Well, we know so, this because publicly people have been like, yeah, because publicly people whack. are like, no, this is not the case. So, because the the rules weren't clearly defined, yeah, and that's what happens when you 
when you organize your own things, you you got blind spots. Exactly, you need to hire people to actually set things Who, up. Who've correctly. done this before, especially because they know what the potential pitfalls are. And this yep. was a huge pitfall, which none of us actually, even myself, retrospectively, I never anticipated it. It's only when it happened that we realized we had a problem. Exactly. Um, and so the only way to really fix it was to have an independent eye look at it and say yes or no. Yep. Um, and the Comics Choice Awards, the Savannah Comics Choice Awards, promised us a a look into it and an audit being commissioned. And this was back on the 18th of July. The 18th of July. This, yeah. So we, we knew that I knew the awards was on the, was on the 8th of September. Back before 18th of July, I asked them. And that's plenty of time to get an audit done. And I said to them, look, why don't you postpone the awards until you sort this out? We look at the nominations again. And they were like, no, no, there's a lot of media and whatever coverage. I'm like, cool. But you think that was the issue for them? Was like all the media spend, all the... Like for me, the whole thing with Comics Choice is everything is back to front. How much would this audit have cost? That was a priority because it's actually about awards. But they're more interested yep. in like the tubers and who's going to play the triangle, a, triangle at the yeah. event. Getting the most marketing budgets out of it. Like, like how it's good. I'm like marketing money out of it. That's not the most important thing is the actual awards, guys. It's yeah, the integrity of the awards. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, I'm not a big awards guy in general. Like, Which and I am. <laughs> yeah. But with these awards in particular, I've just always had the issue of you can't, you can't really like if you're a comedy management company you can't be giving awards to comedians <laughs> like I I struggle with that I, there's a clear conflict of interest there and this is where the conflict of interest has come in now because the artist in question belongs to the comedy management company during the awards so this is like just now for me the conflict like it conflates everything that's like what's the worst that can happen well that's kind of the worst that can happen that's the worst thing that can happen but also we as comedians can't decide that that's the worst that can happen because we have also our own issues. Yeah, personal stuff that's so happened over the years. The call was for an independent eye to say, hey guys, this is not a problem or this is the worst thing that could have happened. <laughs> yeah. But if we, if we got that voice, I would have been at the awards on Saturday and I would have done the walk if I won. Because it's your like fellow comedians voting yeah, this is, this so is this is about, the industry. Yeah, the industry is saying, hey Carvin, we saw you this year. And yeah, man, go get it, bro. And it's probably awards you should have got last year, so it's quite nice that you yeah, them this year. is your award, bro. We, 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 you inspired us, whatever the case is, or you thought you were funny. I don't even think the awards are really about funniness anymore. No. I think it's just about, I don't know, it's, 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 I think it's, it's a combination also, of things. It's, it's not like, really about funny, like, how, were you the funniest guy? No. Because it's hard to judge, A, who's the funniest. Yeah, yeah I like, don't think it's about that. Yeah, so it's roles in the community. It's who's got the biggest visibility. Hmm. Who's, like, you know, that's How good is your PR game? Exactly. Hmm. So, the awards, I, 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 I didn't attend, and... Um, and did that, did that hurt? Like to not no, go to I must be honest, it didn't. Okay. Um, I felt conflicted off on the night of after, like everything had settled and I was at home. Uh, we like, should I have gone? Should I have not? Like, yeah, then I'm, then I'm in this moment of what was the way, what was the better way to sort this out? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, no, if I'd gone... You're endorsing it. Yeah, I'm endorsing. And if I'd won, what would I have done when I received the award? Would I have waved and pretended like I hadn't had a long say? It puts yourself in an awkward position. Do you oh. have your long say? Like, do uh, you yeah. do you Kanye? It's like yeah. Or, or do I do, do I have the say? <sighs> do I spoil it? Do I sour the event? 
Yeah, because for a lot of comics, it means a lot. Yeah, and I have to respect that. That's that's the thing that I always like struggle with as well. Is when I give my criticism, it's like I know a lot of people are also like super invested in it. So, mm. like, I hope I don't hurt people when I'm like awards are meaningless. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I think I think um, having not gone, I don't I don't know how. Uh, the CCA feels about it, but have they not contacted you? Well, I've got an awkward relationship with the owners of the awards. Yeah, and it's got history. But if we if we just wrap it into this period, um, my issue with them and communication is I've never had communication with them where I felt I could trust them. Private communication. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and it's based on one of the first communications where they wrote a letter about our communication yep. where they painted me in a certain way and I was like well this is never going to happen again because we will have the communication publicly and let everyone else decide if I attacked you or I was nasty to you because that is subjective to yeah. you let, so you don't you that's can't, you can't tell you can't all of us that that's what happened let us decide that's what that's what, and I won't have public um, private conversations with them they requested in the week of the show to fly me up to show me what why what's the situation and how it works but without it doing an audit and I said to them and this is my message the only time I will have a conversation with you is when you have an audit I will not have private conversations with you so unless you have an audit, please do not contact me for private meetings. And that was my, and the person laughed at the message on Wednesday. <laughs> and I was like, well, if you think it's a joke, let's, let's see what happens on Saturday. I wonder how, yeah, I wonder how they feel about all of this. Like, I think <laughs> you should get them on the, pub, on the podcast, Bob. Yeah, if they ever want to come down to Durban, I'd love to, to be completely honest. I mean, I'd dig to chat to John for a million different reasons. Like, I do have some respect for the guy, like, as much yeah. as I'm critical of, you know, like, a lot of it. Like, I still can recognize a lot of good that they have done. But, yeah, there are issues that I have with, but that's also just my moral code and my, like, the way I see the world. So, it would be very cool to chat to them eventually. So, I haven't accepted the awards. Yeah. Uh, Titsi Trumia friend of mine took Went it upon up. himself so, so he got three awards at that <laughs> yeah he's getting three awards uh, and in retrospect I'm grateful he did that to kind of save, save the situation the, yeah because it was going to be awkward if not nah, it's going to be a big talking and point. you didn't speak to anyone about it before. no I didn't tell anyone actually the reason he went was because the year before I told a few people because I wasn't there yeah yeah uh, if it happens just so <laughs> when I spoke to him I said why did you like why did you go he says because no last year you said that so I knew you weren't jazz so I said oh, I'm like okay no oh one's yes gonna go. I remember yeah yeah I'm gonna go get it and uh, well, last did. year you were telling everyone to go get it yeah I was like yeah. yeah guys just you go all go get it yeah, yeah, I rush to stage or whatever yeah <laughs> that would have been cool yeah that would have been a better moment last year that would have been a better moment last year yes yeah absolutely and so um I have decided that I'm not going to accept the awards uh, until the audit's done. That's simple. That's that's it. That's uh, and but I'm, and I'm it, okay with that. But how does it feel to do that, man? Like it feels. Is it? But is it because like the awards aren't legitimate? Like so, accepting them wouldn't feel good anyway. I can't accept them under these conditions. <laughs> like there's no value. There's no <laughs> like who do I show? Hey, you see this award I'm disputing. Yeah. <laughs> 
the whole those the last few months where I've gone. Yeah, this is, this is and it. And now I'm cool with it. No, like, I'm not going to be cool with it unless we all cool with it. So, do you see an audit happening? Do you see? I, you know, I don't know uh, why they didn't release audits. I don't know why they didn't tell us who the auditors are. I don't even know if they commissioned an audit. That's the thing. I don't think it's been done. They've not told us anything about it. I, a part of me feels like they thought after, after it all happens or, and whatever, like, yeah. we let it go. But I think they also maybe uh, look comedians. We we are ego, we we driven by our egos, right? And I must be honest. In, at some point in the whole thing, you're wondering if you're gonna win. If you, your ego just say just go and collect it and just have the moment. I mean, but like I was like, why would I do that? Because. I want to feel good, right? Yeah. No, you want, you want that gratification. No, I, I'm more gratified in this situation. If I have to weigh the two up on a scale, this position we're in now is the more gratifying position. If it's about gratification. Yeah. This is where I'd rather be. You'd rather just be sticking to your guns. And I'd rather be awardless. <laughs> and uh, and I'd like to. I'd like to. I'd like to actually be able take to the, accept. Yeah, awards, I'd like to yeah. accept it. And I hope I hope that they do the, the audit so I can. But if they don't, or what if? Okay, I know you, cool. you answer this for me on our phone call. But what if they do the audit and it turns out you like aren't even legitimate? Like there's criteria that you don't actually meet. Or Which is a like real that. possibility, right? Yeah. Because I've I've done my own look into it um, and to see where. There's lots of people that actually might fall short. Yeah, that aren't actually legitimate. Like, because we, we've gone over the criteria. The rules, yeah, the criteria. There's loads of little loopholes that people have slipped in. The others shouldn't be there or can be there because of like a small yeah. sentence, yeah. Yeah, there's like, there's the whole performing 80% of your material or your work in South Africa, which is the most ridiculous It's the Trevor Noah clause. <laughs> yeah, I think it's not for us. Uh, but now it is for us now. Now, uh, now that you're forward. doing international things, yeah, yeah. It might be for me too. But like there's there's there's, a, there's about three or four of us that fall short of that one. I think um, we'd have to do a, like a month by month count how many days you actually worked outside the country versus how many. I don't know. I don't know. How yeah, you exactly. Like how you, yeah, how, like <laughs> is it paid gigs? Like, yeah. Because what if you know. did like if yeah, the you, five minutes? Those you, days you went holiday counts. You see, but that's where having outside. weird arbitrary rules like mm. doesn't like work. It's but weird. Weird. Eighty percent is a weird place to draw the line. Yeah. It's just you know, like strange. You know, it would be cool getting in some auditors beforehand into or getting people with experience in these things and drawing up rules that make sense like yeah. for all this stuff. Like, like how do you? And not just not just going with the arbitrary number of like eighty percent, like eighty yeah. percent of what days, time on stage, minutes, preparation time, <laughs> holiday included in yeah, that. Well, yeah, because if as as a comedian, your work includes writing. So if I yeah. write most, if I write eighty percent of my material in South Africa, but only perform it's the twenty percent of the time I'm not in South Africa, does that count? <laughs> my, show, my one man shows overseas are like an hour, yeah. hour twenty. <laughs> but you've done like what? But I'm there the whole day, like whatever, so what holiday or whatever the case is, <laughs> hanging out. So, how does that count? Does it count as overseas? Yeah. How know. many hours of this 24 hours in the day does it count towards uh, yeah, yeah. you performing there? Towards yeah. the whole 24. I mean, there we go. <laughs> These are the issues. Joe? Yeah. We'll have to do this some other time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> Cousin. But yeah, man. So where where do you stand now with everything? Like, do you think we should still have yeah. awards? Yeah, I think I think we like need another awards though. Um, and I think. And do you think they should be independently adjudicated? Yeah, like not I think, done by comedians. Like, okay, I think I think Comics Choice will exist next year. I think they they too invested in it. It's a big big thing. And for them, it's a it's a it will also be like almost taking the taking an L, taking a loss. Yeah. 
for them to say, okay, based on last year, we're not doing it this year. Like, yeah. oh, you guys win, uh, which I don't think the they ego will do. No, I think the ego is too big. But also, it's not just ego. It's also they have invested a lot into it. I like, think I think more ego than um, investment. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because they, they, because you can always take the investment of well, creating what? awards and share it. Okay. But that would mean then you're not the owning it. Yeah. And your ego is attached to the ownership. Yeah, well, the ego and the potential money, but yeah. Yeah. Because you, so, you get more. From so that. I think the South African comedy community is going to create its own awards um, in, in terms of deciding how it works. And I think those awards will then be handled by an outside company. But why, why do you think we need awards? Awards, awards do give us a bit of a measure. Uh, it helps the comics aim for stuff, which, which then pushes them, which makes them better because they want to work harder, go further. Because in their mind, they might get something for us. And that's not a bad thing to have people try to be funnier, yeah. try to get more See, gigs. but to me, like, the reward is getting more people into your shows. It's doing bigger shows. It's, yeah, like, it's, that sort of thing. Like, it's, yeah. like, you know, and also, like, I, I mean, I, like, I've tried to remove, like, my competitiveness from comedy. And maybe that's a mistake. Because, you know, like, I see it as an art. And, like, I don't like art being competitive. But I get that other people do because to me art is personal it's my personal subjective experience that i'm sharing with you in a creative way i'm not doing it to be better than the other person even mm. though i want to like get bigger laughs and perform my stuff as well as i can i struggle to really quantify better if that makes sense like yes just think, because just yeah. because you're making more people laugh doesn't necessarily mean you're doing better like you're doing the well, I guess it does, like in some ways. I think what people are doing is when, the quanti when they're quantifying um, success or voting, is uh, they're asking, are you... Are you, it's are you successful? It's basically coming down to numbers. Are you performing to more numbers? Yeah. Are you performing in more places by numbers? So you're already getting the accolades that I would want anyway, like in terms of doing bigger rooms and yeah. stuff like that. Then to me, like I'm like, cool, I'm doing it. I'm successful. I guess then after that, it's like, what's next? Like... Okay, so something else that's happened to me in this whole process. I'm for awards, but I am not into awards like I was before this whole process. Yeah. Before this particular round of, before the nominations came out. That's like me when I won. And how I am now, one. two different people in terms of awards. If I don't get, if I don't enter another awards, it wouldn't bother me. If I don't win another award, if I don't get nominated, it will not bother this me. This is literally me after winning the blog, like the essay blog awards, because yeah. I was like, this is meaningless. Like afterwards, it's like you campaign and you're like stoked, and then you like just look at everything. And you're like, like as, as much as I can use this to get more money out of advertisers, me personally, I don't feel any sort of reward out of it. No, where the where the value comes in is when you travel and you 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 have you these nominations. Your, it does yeah. help you because um, promoters also need this stuff to convince. So the currency of it is that it convinces people See, but that you know what you're doing without them seeing you. And that's what frustrates me because it's almost so it's like inviting somebody like when you do that. Like, mm. so when someone it's gets like a CV. Uh, I got a BA in social science. Well, yeah. are, you, are you good at social science? Well, I got a BA. But yeah, well, you, okay, you see, you have, to do, you, you have to do tests and stuff to get there. Whereas it's not someone else going 
you are the best at this, out of my yeah. subjective opinion. So to me, it's almost like you're king making when it comes to awards. Yes, you're like, we are. Like you're busy going, that's the guy, and then that guy gets to go, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. You know, whereas, yeah. like, so it's weirdly enough, yeah, that's where I guess my issue is because then I get there are you. politics I, behind I get that. You. And like, I get you. It's advertising, like, in its own way. It's PR, yeah, like, more than it is reality. But at the same time, I mean... And I, I don't disagree with you, I get you. But at the same time, I do get their importance and... But almost every, anyone that's nominated for awards kind of deserves them. Like, you know, there can be only one winner, but you look at the list even for the Comics Choice Awards, pretty much everyone there a is a good comedian. Yeah, a nomination's as good as a win. Yeah. And that's been my argument, is that that's why I feel like there's questions around the nomination process more than there is around the actual winning process because the nominations is where we're not going to really, like, Question raise things. our eyebrows. Yeah. Oh, something's not but right. you can yeah. always forever be... Yeah. It's the exact same thing in your bio. Like, yes. being a winner or nominated, people see the front part there. Something, something awards, cool. That guy's good enough to He's involved in big yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the best, like, there, one of the top five. Yeah. The sound of this is going to be fucked anyway. And I think we should probably wrap it up anyway, because I'm late for work. Uh, where are we going to go do another interview Okay, now? cool. Anyway. But thank you so much for your time. And I, I'm sorry that it's under these sort of circumstances that we had to eventually get this conversation yeah like because i like you know i want this podcast in general to just be more of a thing that people can learn about but i guess the timing of this we have to talk about the awards it's no but this is also an important conversation this is a this is a, a potential turning point for the essay comedy scene for essay comedy in relation to how we view how we valued yep and i think um for myself um i know the the manner in which I treat this process now is also going to determine how people value awards going forward. Yeah. Because I think we've kind of just been pretending for a long time that everything's cool and let's go for it and get excited. And we're like, now really now, actually just let's actually a step get back some legitimate say, awards. Wait, guys, what are we actually getting excited for? Is it, is it worth getting excited for? And yeah, so let's... And look, the thing, of, the thing about our awards is they peer review, right? So... Peer review is not bad, but it shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. No, because... So you can have certain categories, this is my opinion, that are peer review. But you can also have panel categories, you can yep. have... I like that. Whatever, but you must have a mixed bag Or you of can have categories that are both. Yeah, you can have a mixed bag of categories. Because, like, if we are now determining who is the comic of the year... Through popularity. On, yeah, it's a beauty competition. Yep. And I'm prettier than Bob or whatever. Or whoever was on the list. Kumba yep. or Robbie or Pops. I'm prettier than them if I get voted based on friendship. Yeah, based on politics. Niceness. Based on can can that guy get me a gig? Like, can I get you a gig? Yeah. Can he get me overseas? He knows who to go to to go overseas. Yeah. You know, we actually are gonna do another one of these in a few months' time. Like, yeah. so that like because there's that brings up even more questions. Yeah. Like, just that your role and everything. And but as I said, thank you so much for cool man chatting and let's go do another interview. <laughs>